Hello everybody, this is Sasha from Sexport Talks and today I'm so happy to have Jennifer Jade with us. She's a love and, and sex and relationship coach from Love Made Simple and yeah. welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Sasha. Nice <laughs> to be here. Thank you. So uh, we are going to be talking about an amazing topic. When she when when she told me first about this, I just got like full body chills because it feels so exciting. As a person that has been married for 17 years, when I heard this topic, I was like, yes, please, we need more of this. <laughs> so, uh, what does monogamy have to learn from non-monogamy relationships? God, that topic is endless. Um, I want to share a little bit about what how this came to be first. Yes. Um, I had been always kind of interested in relationships and in quote unquote fixing them when I was really young and had been studying and interviewing anyone that would talk to me about their private life. Literally, since I was like six, it's pretty inappropriate, but um, <clears throat> always fascinating. And I, I kept getting kind of the same story, like, don't get married. Um, I would get really weird things, like, you're too, you know, pretty. Like, there, there were these, even as a child, these, like, very sad, <laughs> urgent warnings from women and men to, like, avoid at all costs marriage, which was really heartbreaking to me because I was raised in... <clears throat> eight different countries before the age of 11. So I had seen kind of marriage across all these different cultures, both Latin, European, and American. And they all kind of suffered with this. Um, you can only really be happy if you have like a side relationship or if you're constantly lying to each other. Um, you maybe are that rare once in a blue moon unicorn that are happy together. But I had actually never met one at that time. <clears throat> and it was really heartbreaking as a kid to like really want to believe in this partnership and love and just keep getting these like very saddened adults being like, don't do it. So yeah. eventually that led me to study my whole dissertation on uh, different types of love and what the next stage is. Um, different types of love in our human history across the ages. And then what what's next? Because it kind of stopped after, our, like our development of it officially kind of stopped after marriage, which was a socioeconomic arrangement that made a lot of sense if one person was going to work and provide everything and the other person was going to run the household, raise the children, yada, yada. We all know that story. So yeah. um, I kind of thought that since we were changing so much as a society and so quickly there needed to be something else and then I couldn't necessarily find anyone that was okay with that I got a lot of backlash from it um, a lot of I don't know what I'm talking about this is really dangerous think about the backlash it'll have on children across the world it was quite interesting how angry people would get at the suggestion that there might be a different evolution um, to this this beautiful concept of love. And so I traveled across the United States and I was interviewing, I started interviewing alternative couples. Like I would mm -hmm. say like seven years later, 
after this very disillusioned <laughs> attempt in college. Um, and I had really only found out about them about seven years ago, that there were communities and that there were all these different shades and colors of families, if you will, that really identified as happy. That was incredibly shocking to me. I was like, I found them <laughs> and they live in the shadows. But in, in LA, we're very lucky. In California, it's more open. Um, in different states across of America, there are varying, varying levels of how open people are in sharing their open families. But it did offer some hope as to the more personalized your contract with whoever you decide to spend the rest of your life with is, the higher percentage of happiness for like the rest of your life. So many of the people that I interviewed were people that started with monogamy and married and would be together for 20 plus years, raise children, and then either by accident or through crisis, open up but very consciously um, and start exploring whether just going to a party or like a sex party or um, dressing up and going to just a themed party depending on how comfortable they were or just like diving in and going to something called a munch which is alternative relationship um lunch if you will nothing happens there you just get to all have lunch and like talk about it you get to ask a bunch of questions to people that maybe are there to meet somebody or are happy to share with you what, what this is and uh, yeah the the surprising factor across the board isn't that they like then went and had a million partners and you know are only happy because they're not actually together it brought them back to this quite consistent level of constantly being in a new relationship with each other constantly cycling new energy never taking each other for granted um, it took away a little bit of the comfort and the safety that is so divine to build a that can just murder eroticism if it's not accompanied with other very conscious exercises to like bring in some thrill and excitement and desire and new energy into that relationship. Oh my God, <laughs> I love it. And it resonates so much with um, my experience. I have seen that uh, first firsthand, like the, the fear of couples when they get together. Oh my God, I'm going to lose the freedom. And it's like, like a panic, right? Like, like a sense of, um, like if a couple was a ball and chain and not yeah. really a conscious uh, coupling. And mm -hmm. something that you mentioned that is so important is that marriage is a socioeconomical agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like we take that for granted that it has always been that way, but it has a, a, a reason to be that way. And romanticism was not it. it it's just recent that that yeah. we that we connected romanticism and, and romantic love with marriage it, it has yeah. like what a hundred years maybe yeah yeah and the interesting thing is you know it was developed because this like need be basis of what would set people up for most success and blah blah, blah. and now with the most the more that technology evolves, the less we actually like need each other. And what we're left with is freedom, which 
actually causes a lot of existential angst in everybody because we're not used to having so much of it. Like if, if everything is an option, you have so many choices to make, <laughs> you know, whether that is your sexuality, whether that is if you want children, where you live, if you live in hotels by choice, if you travel the world all the time, or if you live on a farm, or if you're going to have a test tube baby, like the options are actually infinite. So what's left is love fully by choice. You know, now both sexes can work and be equally, if not more, um, thriving financially. It's just... We're left with this, oh, like what's left now is fully choice. And maybe we don't have much practice in fully choosing each other outside of immediate logic. So like, of course, I would choose this because we're building a family and because it makes sense economically and blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, no, it's just out of freedom that we choose each other. <clears throat> wow. And that changes totally the... The connection, the nature of the connection, right? Like, I, I'm not with you because I need you, but I'm with you because I want to. Yeah. And that, that also creates a different, a different level of, of intimacy, right? Yeah. The funny thing is, I actually think it, it creates a lot of, because we're not used to it, the immediate impulse in our quickly overturning society is, um, oh, if this is just based out of freedom and not out of need of what we can give each other, like, are you my best choice? <laughs> Could there be a better one out there? <laughs> you know, instead of, um, I chose you for a reason and can we cultivate something here? The immediate go-to, maybe out of some like ingrained social fear of intimacy anyway, is to be like, is this the actual right choice for me? There are so many others. I have seen, I don't know if that's what you see in your yeah. coaching as well. It's a haunting question for Absolutely. people. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, even with, with partners that love each other, yeah. that have shared a history. <laughs> I mean, I have to confess, I, I have thought about that. And I know that my husband has like, mm, are we the best choice for one another? Right. Uh, uh, even when we decide to be together, the, the question is always hunting you down. Yeah. And that actually brings me to the most important thing that monogamy can learn from non-monogamy. Non-monogamy uses that question and that, that kind of destabilizing energy as an arousal tactic. Non-monogamy doesn't mean you have sex with other people. Non-monogamy is just like, you can be monogamish. You know, it's, it's whatever the fuck you want. Oh, can I swear? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you can be whatever the fuck you want. And... And it can mean you just like go and explore other people's energies or you go to different cruises that are just naked. I mean, the options are literally endless. Once you start looking into it, it's out of control. Sexuality is the only part of our lives that has absolutely no boundaries naturally because it's all imagination based. The freedom in it is endless, endless. You can literally bring it down to the most taboo things that are like highly illegal and you'd be put in jail forever. Make them erotic and make them work for your relationship. <laughs> you know, there's this superpower in our sexuality that again, without being given permission first to have it, to just be it already and then share it with this partner that you've promised to share the rest of your evolutionary life together with 
it, um, it kind of like stagnates and just becomes something that's wrong with you, which you then naturally project onto your life and your partner. There must be something wrong with him. When it's really the, the backlash of being this like sensual and feeling and multidimensional sexual animal and having no permission to share it with your other multidimensional sexual animal and kind of like either laughing about it or just sharing. Does that make sense? Yeah. We froze, froze for a, a second. Bit. Yeah. I don't know. We're still. Yeah, we're still here. It just froze for a moment. Oh. Hello. Yeah. I see you. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> when you're speaking about, about using our sexuality with that freedom. Yeah. Uh, I hear also that you're speaking about uh, because there there is a part that can be a little bit uh, a little bit triggering, which is the edges, right? The parts that can be uh, also illegal or almost not also but almost yeah. illegal. It's like we have it in in our fantasy in the way in which we can relate to our partner, right? Like we can always play and, and create an exchange that is. Uh, consensual and, and, and playful role playing, involving others yeah. with with that uh, with that openness. Yeah, yeah. And because it's fantasy, it doesn't innately mean anything about or is accounted for either with kids or with work or with your purpose, whatever it is. Working out a place where you can be so intimate about something so kind of, um, I mean, exciting, but it's like edgy. It's like also scary. Um, it's also like maybe you've never told anybody and a place where you can be seen and loved and, you know, more than often the person responds with like laughter and like, Oh my God, I have the same kind of thing, but totally different. And this is what it like. It starts off this kind of like cascade of, permission it brings in innocence it brings in a lot of playfulness unless there is like very deep religious shame inside that takes a little bit longer because it's ingrained with this kind of like innate sense of there's something wrong with you anyway are you doing something wrong with that which can also be made quite fun in the bedroom but <laughs> take a little more time so yeah yeah so sexuality as this safe haven where we can be anything we want to be yeah uh, where we can explore our edges where we can explore our deepest darkest corners and we can share them with the with the people that we that we desire to share them with yeah. and then the alternative to monogamy so mm -hmm. we want to to shake that uh, that that place that is no longer or that that system that is no longer functional because it can actually be uh it can actually be limiting to our mm -hmm. to our freedom yeah um how can we go and do that you know in a way that feels safe uh, yeah. and because there's uh, i have seen that one of the most painful reasons of suffering is jealousy yeah. and it's this sense of i am going to be left alone uh my partner is not going to be he's not going to want to be with me he's going to find somebody prettier or he's going to oh that that means he has permission to go and you know play around with everybody how can you create that that safe container uh, 
yes. in, in a way that is healing and not a cause of deeper suffering? I love this question because this is so monumental to, I think, why alternative relationships work, um, why they feel... When you're in an open relationship, and I've been in one for three years, um, there's you're not getting around. Like, you're not getting away with feeling anything. <laughs> like, you're so attuned to your partner because of the amount of emotional exercise that you guys have to do in order to safely play and the amount of fuck-ups <laughs> that innately come with that, that um, you can't get away with stuff. So I think in monogamy, when I've been in monogamy, and he and I are monogamous now, you can get away with a lot of stuff, you know, because of the, because you can take your container for granted, oh, we're married, that means he's not gonna do anything, and if he does, the consequences, you know, we're, we're leaving each other or hell. Um, you don't really see a drive for like, oh, I'm really jealous of this person that they work with. But you miss out on this enormous opportunity to A, be incredibly vulnerable, be, be received by your partner, see, be reassured. Reassurance is like the most amazing, aphrodisiac, surrendering, powerful force in the world. The issue is also not only with the person feeling jealousy, but in a partnership, I find men and women, when a partner comes in is like, I'm so jealous of this situation, whether there's truth in it or not, the response is typically kind of like anger or shaming, or like you're being ridiculous, maybe some gaslighting, um, or some really lovely gaslighting, you know, like, oh, you have nothing to worry about, versus like, yeah, there's some attraction there, but, but let's sit down and talk about how can I make you feel safer? The whole point of building this intimate relationship isn't to avoid conflict. It is a little bit in monogamy, which is also the least erotic thing possible safe is not sexy mm -hmm. unless you're in like a little bit of kinky danger then safe is great but, <laughs> but you know, in, as a like standard for the rest of your life it's going to get old so so these things kind of come up as an opportunity for you and your partner to create a, a an experience of we can handle anything we can handle you know the new age pamela anderson coming to work at your office and i know that you're going to receive my feelings no matter how many times they come up with love and support. You're going to call me at lunch. The interesting thing, and I, yeah, you're going to call me at lunch. We're going to make a system out of it. And the interesting thing is that's not a forever thing. The, typically when someone feels unsafe, they just need to feel safe for a little while in order to trust things again, and then they can relax. And then they kind of have a, a bigger trust of the relationship anyway by leaning into the jealousy, by having the person respond without fear, it, it creates that trust that they can handle anything and anyone coming in. And that is missing, I find, in monogamy or in my monogamous relationships, for sure. My, my heart is just like so happy feeling and receiving this because I can totally see how, how that changes the dynamic. Because that the gaslighting, the the cheating, the going behind you, and th that destroys your self esteem. When that uh, when, when that conversation that you're mentioning actually builds you up, and and eventually that makes more space for freedom. 
Absolutely. It also gives your partner space to feel the same. And then there's this experience of like gratitude that you're both capable of feeling these intense things for each other and, and you're both capable of handling it. Like in non-monogamy, if one person feels triggered, depending on your container, for a lot of the people that I coach, this is how I would like them to do it. And for my relationship, it's what worked best for me. It was like, if I was in pain, everything stops. If he was in pain, everything stops. Like there is no entitlement. There is no, well, you said I could yesterday. It's, oh, you're in pain. Everything stops in order to listen, in order to love, in order to remove the urgency and provide abundance and healing and some pleasure if need be. Like, it's just totally different than what I have found our modern relationships encourage, which is, you know, yeah, I feel like it's more like bare knuckling it through, try not to fight, you know, don't be a nag, like all of these things that are just are really painful to hear when they're coming from somewhere really real inside of you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I love that. And I want to, to make sure that we repeat that enough. When your partner is in pain, everything stops. Mm -hmm. so that, that's the one place of safety. That's, uh, so, so you have safety in your partner. I, I am hearing that safety with your partner is not about... Um, it's not about that steady place that becomes boring and it's dangerous and it's not sexy, but about knowing that whatever happens, your partner is going to have your back and it's going to make you the most important thing um, in the world. So that, that, that for me feels totally seductive. Like, oh, oh my God, I, I would so want that in my relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's so nice. And then you know, that doesn't just happen immediately. Also, There's, there's a, a level of, of teaching each other that I think needs to happen as well because you're both really different. So maybe for one person, talking immediately really helps. Maybe for the other one, a little bit of space really helps. And it can be really uncomfortable when you feel like you've done, you've hurt your partner somehow. Even if it's just by the new colleague, a lot of our immediate primal reaction is, but I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm committed to you. So what else do you want from me? You know, and it, it can be the most painful thing to receive when, when you feel so ashamed of feeling insecure anyway. <laughs> like, but these feelings are the important part. The feeling is actually a gift. It's like, ooh, here's an opportunity for you guys to overcome this and like devour each other afterwards. <laughs> like, you know? Ooh, I love that. I love that so much because I know that that is the need beyond the need right like when you are actually craving that connection with your partner somehow what you're craving is to know that you're safe to feel whatever you feel mm -hmm. that it's okay to feel whatever you feel and that it's going to be welcome that it's not going to be judged and and shame and, and that you're not going to have uh, to be blamed for feeling something that is beyond you that just happens when you see uh, your your stability as a couple being challenged somehow yeah 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 it's really exciting <laughs> i love that oh my god this this conversation is golden i i just want to to show it to everybody that i know in couples because i have seen that there is so much pain with insecurity I know that you are that you are Mexican or part Mexican. Is that true? 
I'm quite a mix. So I'm half Russian. I was born in Ecuador, but my mom's Peruvian and our whole family on her side is Peruvian. Oh, so. <laughs> yes. So you're la you, you have Latina blood as well, like, because I'm Mexican. And I know that an issue with Latin American culture is that infidelity is seen as something that happens and you just let it happen, right? Like, uh, and you just let it, uh, let it happen. And then in the American culture, we have the opposite. It's like, there is a huge uh, punishment uh, and, and people is shame if they let it happen. Yeah. So the Latin American woman knows that her partner was so faithful and she forgives him because it's harder to let him go. And the American woman knows that her partner was unfaithful and she leaves him right away. Yeah. But then there is pain on both sides. Yeah. There is suffering. There is a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And all of this because we never made an agreement yes. that would work just for us where we can say, so you can go this far and when this happens, please let me know this way or don't let me know until, the, until you get to this point. Whatever works for the relationship yeah absolutely and also there's such a difference between you know a sex addict uh a person that had a hiccup because some part of their very repressed self was missing something and this is how they found it a person who's a narcissist sociopath who enjoys or doesn't feel anything from causing you pain a psychopath like they're varying degrees of when you should run and when <clears throat> It is, you know, a, a very deep and horrible human mistake that, that can be so painful and destructive for both people. There is a time when this happens and it should be looked at with respect for both parties, with pain acknowledgement for both parties, with not what the hell is wrong with you and you're going to burn in hell, but where did this come from first? Maybe it is a what the hell is wrong with you. And, and there's a time and space to acknowledge if that's the case. But a lot of us were just told, like, just don't feel that. Just fucking, you know, put it in your body and stop feeling that. <laughs> like, that causes these trigger reactions when we drink alcohol, when we're under stress, when we fight with our partners, when we're driven away for whatever tragedy, when a death happens. Like, it's just all of these little grenades inside of us ready to go off at any point. And then you get more hell put on you instead of the person that has said till death do you part being like, I'm right here, you really hurt me, but let's figure out what happened before I make some whiplash response to punish you for the pain that you're causing. <clears throat> and I love that you mentioned the different layers and different kind of people. Like, because it's so easy to all of a sudden encompass everybody. In, now let's, let's everybody have open relationships. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we find ourselves being gaslit into relationships that we don't really want, but that's, that's the woke thing to do. So <laughs> we don't necessarily need to, to all go into a new, uh, into a new like, like uniform pattern. We need to yeah. find what works for us. And to understand that there are different needs and there are different people that sometimes it's not about the freedom of the relationship. It's just that that person is not the right person to be with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely don't think everyone should be in an open relationship. Like, unless you love communicating all the time, like I do, 
Like, unless that is like what drives your whole life, do not do that. Uh, or, or you want to be like super poly, <clears throat> where everyone is a, a primary and it's a, I, I wouldn't say it's easier. You definitely know more if you're poly because it feels natural to you to, to do that, to have like multiple primary-ish seeming partners. But um, yeah, I, I don't think opens for everybody. Just how I don't think marriage and monogamy is for everybody. And I think you know in your body if it's for you or not. You know, I think if you, uh, if you are saying no to it because you're terrified is different than saying no to it because you really have no interest in it and there is no charge around the no. You're just like, oh, it doesn't really excite me. It doesn't make me really repulsed. There's no like enormous backlash from it. It's just, you know, that's not for you. Great. Great. I love it. I love it. So as a conclusion, um, is that the word conclusion? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would just like to, uh, to ask what advice could you give couples in order to take, to examine their their relationship the current situation like uh what can they do next if they are wondering perfect so i think the major reason that these alternative relationships identify as happy constantly for decades after isn't because they're open isn't because they're with other people none of that it's because they are constantly sitting down and asking the other person are you happy what do you need more of what can I bring you? And this is where I'm at. This is what I need more of. Do you want to do this with me? Constantly. So there's always this revolution in their relationship <clears throat> that gets updated with their own evolution as just a person. And then as their relationship grows as well. So my biggest tip would be, you know, don't get married and then wait for death and, and anniversary once a year. Have a date night once a month, once every six months, where you're asking each other what you need more of, what the next year should bring you guys, what, what you guys could try on, literally Google new relationship ideas. <laughs> there are so many um, that you could challenge each other with, you know, make it a game, but never just go side by side and become complacent with each other because there's only one path to that and it's boredom, it's resentment, it's anger. You know, we have these huge relationship marks that we, we date and we move in together. You meet, well, you meet the family, then you move in together, then maybe you buy a house, then you get married, then you have kids, and then what? And then it ends. We don't have like a next step to like challenge each other for to want to work to prove to the other person that you are worthy of their love in the next 50 years you know that i feel like we need more of that kind of yearly bi-yearly planning of like what do we want for next year and the next decade and how do we work on that together i love that so much so it's oh my god that's so powerful and and I would really invite you to rewind that part and listen to it once and again and again and again because it's so important. Do it. Speak with your partner. Explore the possibilities. There's so much more than just having kids and then waiting for them to leave the home and then 
waiting for death together because I mean life is not about letting it go <laughs> to waste and letting it pass by us we can explore life together as an adventure together yes you totally agree <laughs> Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. It has been so cool. Thank you, Sasha. This is so much fun. <laughs> and please remember to find Jennifer Jade on her site. We are going to have the link in the, in the comments and in the description so that you can contact her and work with her. She has amazing, amazing results. I know people that, uh, that have told me that they are working with her and they are so happy. Uh, so don't doubt in contacting her right away. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. <laughs> Thank, you so Thank you. 